Hi everyone, and welcome to the fourth episode of the Futures Misfits podcast. In this episode, founder John Brevard and Lev Gaffer discuss macroeconomics. Lev, welcome. Good to see you. How are you, brother? I'm good, good. Good to see you too. Looking great. Yeah, looking well for you. <laughs> yeah, are you, uh, are you doing your own haircuts? Because I just did mine. Uh, it's been my uh, third solo haircut run during this quarantine time. I tried. It was not very successful. I mean, I did some uh, trimming and it was kind of not a successful job. I guess I'll have to wait a few more weeks before everything opens up in New York City. Yeah. How are things there in New York City? Um, it's not bad, actually. I mean, the city looks, obviously... So, Lev, uh, um, can you tell us up front uh, a little bit about yourself, your background, and what you're working on now? Sure, yeah. So, basically, my background is about 25 years in uh, fintech, working for major financial institutions, building uh, trading platforms, supporting trading platforms, and uh, doing risk management. also worked for a few years uh, for private equity in the technology space. Right now, we're working on analytics platform to analyze blockchains. It's GoCypher. Uh, the product is live. Uh, we're talking to a number of clients um, in terms of monetization and how to bring it to enterprises. Basically, it's uh, kind of enterprise strength platforms coming from traditional or legacy financial uh, finances into new world of blockchains or bridging, I would say, the old legacy world with the new world. So that's basically the main focus, analytics for blockchains and how to uh, prepare the corporations to work with uh, um, securitized, uh, securitized tokens, securitized digital instruments. And, and what initially got you interested in, in blockchain uh, work and cryptocurrencies and things of that nature? Well, it was a fascinating, like, I mean, it was first part was a, actually fascination with the technological solution and uh, primarily with Bitcoin, the way how it works, how it solves some existing mathematical problems. And there was basically curiosity. And uh, slowly as I got involved, I spoke to my partner, we discussed what can we do for the space. Uh, we started doing some mining, some trading, and then uh, slowly decided that uh, we should bring our expertise in analytics into the upcoming world of digital currencies and the digital uh, financial instruments. Our initial projections were slightly more optimistic. We started the product about two and a half years ago. We thought that within two years, it would be more kind of adapted within corporations and uh, more, more things are going to be happening and Ethereum will be playing more dominating role. And uh, what we've been seeing in the past year, that despite a lot of investments, a lot of uh, work with ICOs and a lot of new products coming online, the volumes are not that high. And um, we also experience, we all also see that uh, the technology is not robust enough. It's not as stable as we want it to be, um, or as we expected it would be. So uh, it's always, innovation of such scale takes much longer than initially anticipated. But we're very optimistic. We think at some point it's going to be reaching critical mass. Uh, we're also very optimistic about Facebook. Uh, we think these guys have obviously expertise in building huge systems, making them available. And uh, very impressed that during this pandemic, when so many people rely on Facebook for 
communication, uh, for kind of keeping in touch with each other when everybody's on lockup. Uh, the, the systems are so available and perform fantastically well. I mean, the, the streaming and I mean, like in the past three months, I haven't experienced a single day when Facebook wouldn't be available. And I haven't heard from anybody that uh, Facebook didn't deliver or was too slow. I'm very impressed. So I was, uh, I'm still a believer that they're gonna go through with the, uh, they're gonna go with Libra. Um, I follow them and I see the kind of, it's, uh, I don't think it's a, a technical issue. It's more regulatory issue. And as they resolve the regulatory issues, and I think they will, uh, it's gonna be ex like amazing push for the whole industry. I mean, I can see how one day it's just two billion people suddenly will have in their application, just one extra icon which will connect to the wallet. And then next thing you know, two billion people have access to cryptocurrency. And uh, 150 million businesses on Facebook, they'll have access to cryptocurrency. So suddenly there's a two billion people in this space. And even if they don't know what cryptocurrency is, they'll start kind of playing with it. And then uh, Facebook, I'm sure Facebook will be able to properly find a way how to monetize it and, um, and how to ignite the whole ecosystem. So I'm extremely I'm like a big believer that that will be a major, major turning point for crypto, for crypto adaptation. And what are you seeing in st taking a step back? Uh, there's a lot of confusion in the world right now. I think a, a lot of people are, are, are confused about how this market is currently at uh, $320 a SPY right now. Uh, Tesla is at $1,020. Um, this macro environment is confusing for people, seeing as that uh, jobless rates are at uh, all-time high since Great Depression and unemployment levels and uh, the money printing that's going on concerns about inflation. I remember you and I, when we were uh, driving up to a ski resort in upstate New York, talking about the great, uh, the, uh, the fourth turning book and seasonality and, and what's going to happen and to what's going to be the catalyst. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on the macro environment right now? Where, where we are, and where we're going. I mean, it's, uh, I mean, it's, uh, to be honest with you, it's uh, a bit scary. Um, despite the fact that the market is going up, I'm on sidelines. Um, a lot of uh, people I talk to, a lot of traders, obviously taking advantage of the situation. But at the same time, um, the and the, the very experienced people are very cautious. And I see that a lot of professionals are minimizing, trimming their positions. The more investing, in, the more moving to bonds. They're not as aggressive. And I think I could be wrong, but it's, it's a lot of retail investors and a lot of gamblers who now cannot, bettors who usually bet on sports, they're sitting at home and they're used to betting and it, I'm not sure if it's an addiction, so for some it's addiction, for some it's entertainment. And as they sit at home, they suddenly find that, oh, there's another place where they can easily uh, kind of bet. And it's, uh, I mean, I've seen some very, um, irrational moves in uh, companies which are going into bankruptcy. I mean, just the, the stock is skyrocketing. 
uh, it makes me feel uncomfortable in terms of uh, basically uh, doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't mean that it's wrong. It just doesn't make sense to me. And if it doesn't make sense to me, it makes me, as anybody else, makes me uncomfortable. And if it makes me uncomfortable, I'm staying on sidelines as I don't understand what's really going on. Uh, possible I'm missing the biggest bull market in the history. Maybe it's going to be roaring 20s. Maybe it's coming back. Uh, the, the innovation is ignited. But from uh, my fundamental perspective, I see 40 million people unemployed. I think there are ripple effects. Uh, it's got to be some, uh, the real economy is not going to be doing as well as people expect when uh, the market opens up. I'm really, I'm kind of uneasy and then they like it's election year, uh, but it seems to be like no bad, like right now I feel it's like the, the liquidity is provided by federal, by, by Fed, federal bank and that's, that's the, the market reacts to liquidity. But if insolvency starts happening, as I expect, and the more downsizing is going to be happening, it's deflationary force. People start making less money, and then after opening, as we don't see the that the, we're going back to kind of February 2020, uh, the mood might change. Right now, psychology is very, despite everything that's going on, the psychology of investors is very optimistic. Um, I think that the, the president, with his uh, Reminders that the economy is doing well is somehow helping it, uh, kind of elevating overall the mood and expectations, but then the time will show. And then I'm also, I don't know what's going to happen with the second wave. For me, it's still, it's still in the plate. The virus is not over. The pandemic is not over. Um, and now we just had a ton of people marching all over the world in close proximity with each other, uh, potentially really spreading this virus to an unprecedented level. We don't know that yet. Uh, but when I saw those crowds of people not wearing masks, I kept thinking to myself, this is, this is concerning. It is, yeah. And uh, so what we did during the pandemic, we used our analytics platform to uh, pump in uh, publicly available information on, um, on COVID-19. And now we're starting running predictive algos. So as of now, we, we didn't make the results of predictive algos public yet. We're still turning them up. We're looking at the data and we see some spikes of data indexes. We see some spikes of data like the Florida is overall doing pretty well. I mean, considering the population and the overall number of cases, but it's still kind of climbing up. And um, usually respiratory diseases slow down during the summer. So... I, I don't know, like basically for me, it's still a big question what's going to happen when uh, the country opens up and then when September comes and how it's going to impact the market, how it's going to impact uh, the real economy, not just uh, the, the stock market, but the, the businesses and uh, like entertainment industry. I don't know what's, I, mean, it's, uh, I don't know when, uh, like for example, Broadway, I don't know when Broadway is going to open up, right? Will people go, how are they going to open up? how they're going to figure out the sitting or restaurants. I, I, a friend of mine represents, uh, he's a lawyer, he represents a number of restaurants. And uh, as you most of you might know that restaurants in general run on the um, low margins. So for them, decreasing capacity going from 100% to let's say 75, basically entirely kills the business. And uh, so it's like a, a lot of questions and uh, it's great that uh, the market is optimistic and um, look. hopefully it's looking forward. 
and it's just not uh, it's not a, a bull trap. Well, it it seems to me uh, what I've noticed. And I don't know if you've noticed the same, but a lot of young people are starting to talk about trading, investing, uh, and you know, jumping on apps like Robinhood and you know, seeing if they could. You know, they're they're getting a little bit of momentum, right? Because they've jumped in, maybe a good time in the market, made a little money, but the, it's almost reminds me a little bit of the 1920s when everyone started speculating, right? Which is concerning because if this is a bull trap, which I personally think it may be, um, what's going to happen when it, it starts heading down again? Are we, uh, are there going to be a lot of either A, bag holders or B, uh, people that are hurt, you know, even more than they were? Well, if you follow kind of, um, if you follow, if you look at the previous bear markets, it's a very, it's a very standard pattern that uh, first uh, there is a kind of retrenchment of the like the bull market comes back and then I mean the, not the bull market but the rally comes back and then when the next lag when it goes down it goes much faster and more brutal. Uh, also, I guess we I, I see a lot of volume in Robinhood trading and um, when I go to Robinhood to check the charts. I uh, realized that some of the people are uh, not very experienced. It's hard for me to kind of gauge. I didn't, we didn't do any analysis in terms of understanding the level of uh, expertise of the traders in Robinhood, but I suspect that a lot of them not extremely experienced. And uh, they do, like right now, they probably made a like, very substantial amount of money, especially if they got in in uh, March or late March, early April on the bottom, but um, they don't know how to manage the risk. They don't know how to uh, properly position themselves. They get it also involved in the more complex instruments, not just equity, they trade with options. And um, when the market changes direction and if it happens fast, it might be not very attractive. And uh, another one is uh, it's election year. It's, uh, it's another kind of, I think that's another level of complication. <laughs> Let's put it that way. In my mind, I mean, I'm not sure who's going to win, who's going to lose. I'm, um, I cannot predict what's going to happen, but uh, I feel that if the election is very close, if, if, we, if we have similar outcome as we had in 2000, uh, and uh, in 2000, just if you, Remember, it was between uh, Bush and Gore. The election came very close and took about three to four, like I think it was three months, right, to get resolved. And, but that was, fun. like we're talking about very nice times. I mean, everything was great. The economy was doing great. It was very high employment. The population was very optimistic. There were no riots. There wasn't the populism and the nationalism and the authoritarianism and the divisiveness that there is now. It was a more Absolutely. civilized era. It was more civilized and um, regardless of uh, who you like more, uh, like all things considered, I thought that candidates were very, in some way, were more similar than different. I mean, uh, Al Gore and uh, George Bush were kind of, I mean, there were, there were differences, but there were not drastic differences. And there was, I think most of the people were kind of okay with both of them. 
they, they had preference for one of them, but the, the second one was not that, uh, it was not end of the world. But the sentiment now, and we're still in June, it feels like that uh, the opposite side will be very, very unhappy of whoever wins the election. And uh, that might be such level of uncertainty might create extra problems for the market. Well, in my opinion. When you, uh, the way that I kind of see it is, is almost like you have a, an old barn with, you know, it's all dried up wood and uh, hay and, you know, some old gas canisters and all it takes is one spark. You know, we look at what happened with George Floyd. Um, but when you look at that in the context of the unemployment, um, the, the, the current economic situation, I mean, when people don't have jobs and they are living hand to mouth and they don't have savings and then something happens, to trigger that anger and they have someone to focus that anger toward it it becomes incredibly disruptive well i also look at this from a slightly like another perspective is that um when we're when humans are in stress our frontal lobe our areas which are responsible for decision making and uh, for logical thinking getting suppressed so in that condition uh, it's kind of a, like a reptilian brain kind of takes over. So in the states of stress, and I'm talking about like, like the stress, right now we have multiple factors. We have pandemic, it's still in the play. I mean, for some reason, people are not as concerned as only three weeks ago, but I think it's due to the media. But still there was, well, for a long time, people were on a different levels. Some were less, some were more, but they was constant in the, it was, creating stress regardless of whether you believed in that the, how deadly the virus was or not, that was stress. Unemployment is not a level of stress. Election, so there is a whole compo compounding effect of different stress factors, and that suppresses our logical thinking. And again, it varies on individual level, depends on the person, but overall, from, for, like for masses, it kind of a majority of people, it suppresses the logical decision. And in a state like that, as you probably said, it's like a small thing can ignite the whole fire. Because suddenly, as people stop thinking logically and go through the details, even with Floyd, I mean, that uh, I think it was uh, the step basically from video to actions, there was no even discussion. I mean, there was no, it was, it was so fast. It was so fast, it spread so fast, it's like, it's unbelievable. And, um, and it got to the point of not just protests, it got to the point of riots. And uh, so it got pretty fast to get out of control. And basically, then, then the next one is what's going to happen as we get closer and closer to elections. Yeah. How the public is going to react to winning or losing of their candidate. Will they accept the results of elections? Will they accept that the results are honest? You add to that factor potential second wave in September, plus September will have the seasonal flu. So if you combine just the, there's every year, what about like 20, 30% of the population gets flu, right? I think that's, that's the number. Mm -hmm. So, so uh, like on the, in the standard conditions, people would probably ignore like majority of the people who, who get flu, they, 
lifestyle. I mean, stay home one or two days, they take, uh, they take medication, they take vitamins, and then maybe they skip one or two days of work, but it's usually not a stressful event. During the pandemic, a lot of people will start thinking that, I mean, they'll find like it just be the level of paranoia is going to escalate because you would, you would ask yourself, what if I have a virus? And people start going to medical offices. Some would be afraid to go to medical offices because they would think that that's where they're really going to get sick. So it will add extra level of uncertainty, discomfort, and stress. And again, we're going back to the same kind of igniting of a small sparkle. Uh, igniting a small sparkle that the small additional stress factor can make people uh, edgier and less logical and more uh, kind of conducive to, to aggressive or active, uh, aggressive action. So, you know, for the listeners out there, how are you positioning yourself right now to uh, protect, preserve, and grow your, your wealth during a time like this? I'm, um, okay, I'm very bullish on gold and silver. I'm buying, I'm like accumulating my position in gold and silver. Um, I'm, there's a, there's a, I'm also, like I also, there's a kind of strange, there's a combination of I'm kind of worried, but at the same time I'm excited because I think, mentioning back your fourth learning book, I believe that ahead of us is maybe complicated, but very exciting time. Uh, the time when millennials and uh, the new generation will, uh, take over the country. I mean, through obviously through elections. It's not maybe not this election cycle, uh, but the next. And there's um, a lot of things will have to be remodeled, rebuilt. Like even if you look at New York City, like look, I mean, it's a great city. I love New York. I moved here 25 years ago. There were a few times when I thought I would leave. I was thinking about moving to London. At some point I was thinking about moving to Moscow. But when it came close to that, I, I always I would find the reason not to. And I mean, it's a fantastic city, and uh, there's a lot of great things about New York. And I still think it's a strong city, and will re-engineer re itself and come back stronger. But the city has been the city was designed and built in twentieth of last century by people who are not already around. These people are dead. So the architecture, the design of the city was done, the whole concepts, the way how it operates, how people commute, how people live, how people work. It was all, it was all made a lot of sense and worked great in the 20th of last century. So now I think the big, huge task of rethink what it means for 21st century, for today's reality, how the corporate office is going to work. Do we need such, do we need to warehouse, I think it was the CEO of Barclays who said we don't need to warehouse employees, 20,000 employees in one space. Do we need large offices? Do we need small offices? It's better to have a community life. Supply, uh, supply chains. I mean, there's a lot of things that are going to be rethought, redesigned. I don't know how they're going to look like, What's gonna, but there's, they'll have to be addressed. I mean, we saw the healthcare didn't, I mean, they actually performed not as bad, but there was some issues with the supply lines. Uh, then uh, the, the companies are not getting enough PPEs or there's tons of issues kind of surfaced and they'll have to be addressed. And a lot of this will have to be addressed with technology as we in the FinTech 
would think that the financial industry will have to be remodeled, readjusted. Um, and um, as I said, we have the product. I mean, we're gonna, we are up to be very bullish, despite the fact that we kind of short term, there's so much uncertainty that I wouldn't say bearish, we're cautious. We're cautious because maybe even on an emotional level, you know, when there are riots on the street, you naturally get a bit scared. I mean, I'm just a human. I mean, I walk outside, there are people rioting, throwing rocks. It's an, it's an unpleasant environment. But on the long run, we're very bullish. We think that uh, we'll overcome this and then um, it will be just uh, a lot of maybe hard work, but interesting at the same time. Rethinking and uh, rethinking everything. It's like rebuilding systems of systems. Like just everything, nothing is for granted. Education has to change. Uh, healthcare has to change. Supply lines have to change. Uh, localization has to change. Obviously, there is now a huge push for changing of police. I'm not for uh, getting rid of police, but maybe it has to be rethought. Maybe there's a lot of work the police shouldn't be doing. Maybe they shouldn't be talking to homeless people who probably have mental problems. They don't need to be policed. They have to be helped. Or it has to be has somehow addressed. I'm not an expert, but it has to be some kind of addressed. Uh, then uh, the government, the government maybe has to be refactored or public transportation. Like, uh, I mean, it's like if you look at the subway system in New York City, it's overcrowded. I mean, New York City haven't had the single new bridge built in the what, past 50, 60 years. Not a tunnel. The infrastructure is crumbling should be rebuilt, but if it's rebuilt, should be brought back to what it used to be or something new has to come up. Or maybe new communities altogether will be built because as yeah. the advent of using things like uh, drone technology, we'll be able Absolutely. to do more remote. Um, but getting back to um, your portfolio allocation. Um, so I'm gold, I'm primarily like, I'm, I have like a most of, like basically right now I'm split, I'm between gold, silver, um, I have some bitcoins. I'm kind of I'm um, despite the fact that I'm in crypto space. Um, I'm really I, I really am not sure, but um, I'm not I'm bullish on crypto as the new rails for technology. But I'm I don't have very strong opinion about gold, like uh, not gold, but Bitcoin. I'm not in the camp of I'm not in the zero. Zero camp, but I'm not in hundred thousand dollar scam. So I'm, I'm looking at technical analysis, looking with a business partner. If it goes above ten point five, we'll probably buy more. Uh, but right now it's in the channel, so we're like very. We're trying to be pragmatic about it. Well, uh, my concern is that when we saw this initial drop, you know what we had thought was that Bitcoin was the uncorrelated asset. But during that drop, what was it in, in May or March? Um, uh, Bitcoin went down, gold went down, everything that went down because people were just running for liquidity. And my current concern is that if this is just the beginning of a bear market like the 1920s when we saw 89% down from the highs, why would, what do we have that's proven to us that, you know, Bitcoin or cryptocurrencies in general are not going to follow suit, even gold? 
Absolutely. If well, they uh, money, they're going to liquidate anything that's worth money, especially things that are maintaining their values. Well, that's usually how most of the bear markets. First, you have all asset classes correlated because, as you probably, as you pointed out, everybody runs for liquidity. But then uh, certain asset classes become decoupled. Uh, it's interesting. Even when the gold went down in price, if you look at uh, if you look for physical, you can easily get physical. So there was disconnect between paper pricing and uh, physical. Then silver was very interesting. If you want to get silver coins, the premium for coins was so high that basically in the real in the real for, for physical silver, it was not a very big dip. Then uh, um, so gold, first gold has 5,000 years of proven history. I mean, gold went through a lot. I understand that we live in 21st century, but it's a kind of good track record in my opinion. Bitcoin, it's very fresh, it's very new. Uh, there's, it's still uh, not kind of, it's still, it was, it was not battle proof. And, uh, and uh, I'm, I'm not as, like let's say I'm not as uh, pessimistic as Professor Rubini, for example, who says it's a total fraud and it should go to zero. But at the same time, I'm like, you know what? I can see the, I mean, I, I understand his logic. I, I hear where he's coming from, but I'm not, I don't think it's gonna go to hundred, but you, again, like it's, yeah, basically I agree with your point that there's no, there's no, reference point it was created after loss it was created as a hedge against what we're seeing right now and you would have expected that when the government prints trillions of dollars over a month that bitcoin it should be reflected in bitcoin that it should skyrocket and it should like surpass all other asset classes and provide not only safe haven but just amazing hedge and then you, you see with, with everything going on with riots with uh, hong kong it's a fantastic, it's basically a use case Bitcoin was built for. And it's so far, it's not reflected in Bitcoin. Uh, Bitcoin, there's a lot of professionals who just use it as a fantastic speculative vehicle. But um, I don't see that adaptation is going like any faster than uh, it was always. I don't see basically use case for Bitcoin is not as strong as you. I would have expected uh, considering the current environment and what's going on in the world. So one more question. So what, what is a belief that you have currently that, that other people around you or, or people that you know may find a bit controversial? There are a few. I'm afraid not all of them are politically correct, but... Um... <laughs> Um, let me find something which is not too, too controversial. But, but the whole point is that others would find controversial. Beliefs that you have that... Uh, well, okay, there may be a controversial, but maybe not... Uh, well, let's stay within the more politically, I guess, more politically correct. Oh, come beliefs. on, Lev. No, you don't have to... No, we're, we're open here. We, we talk honestly. <laughs> okay. Well, there are a few things. 
I'll start from um, first. I I believe that um, so as we so so the the factor which is very interesting for me is um, is what Marshall McLuhan called. But his main premise that the medium is the message. So Marshall McLuhan was saying that uh, we're moving into from um, visual space, we're mo moving into the audio space, meaning that we're moving in the world where everything is happening simultaneously, not linear. And uh, so media is, uh, it's not even the content of media, but the way how the media works impacts the way how humans interact within each other. And uh, what I feel is that right now, given these riots and everything else, it's a kind of, I would say it's, it's a result, it's not a result of what really happened. Um, it's a result of, it's a result of media and media with algas operating in conjunction and just bringing the temperature of the mental state of population up and down. And it's almost, we see multiple algas fighting for our emotional state. So the, con the, the, the content and the, the way how police reacted Minneapolis is not as instrumental in what we see than the, um, the way how the media is distributed and how it impacts our psyche. So the, the basically, uh, I'm not saying that there was, uh, that the officer didn't, didn't kill. Uh, I mean, I, I saw the videos, uh, I understand what happened, but it happens quite often unfortunately, and it can happen with the African-American or it can happen to, uh, to a white person as well. But the algos pushing through, it's almost, the question is like whether this algos, do we kind of do, in, it's called like a Gregor, do we, is it collective subconsciousness empowered by algos pushing through a certain narrative or it's manufactured by uh, certain political interests. Regardless of that, it's an it's insane instrument. It's like almost like nuclear power, but mental nuclear power. They, they basically, they managed to get hold of media, which can, regardless of the message, elevate our emotions or calm us down. The way how two weeks ago, everybody was talking about coronavirus, and then almost like the channel switched. We forget about coronavirus. I mean, the thousand, like two weeks ago, you couldn't be, you couldn't go to a funeral and congregate more than 50 people. You couldn't go to a church. You couldn't go to synagogue. You, you, couldn't, you couldn't practice your, your kind of your religious beliefs. And then two weeks later, it almost like the channel is switched. We forgot about it. And now it's all about uh, racism, inequality. I wouldn't be surprised if months from now there's another algo with the media, conjunction with media, starts 
a new mammal and will be concerned with totally different topic. And, or will be, or if it's a marketing mem, then we'll be running and buying something and we'll forget about what happened. So that's kind of one of the conversations when I have with people, they, uh, they tend not to agree with my point. <laughs> and um, what, if you were to give advice to either yourself as a younger person or a young person today, what do you think the best piece of advice that you could give somebody living through what we're living through now, whether it be your young self or someone today? Uh, I think the times like this, you have to rely more on intuition. It's, um, it's a time when you have to listen to kind of, I say you have mind and you have heart. Uh, I'm very analytical, I'm very logical, and that's been because my past, like my past experiences working, um, being in math field, I think right now it's more important to be more intuitive and rely more on intuition. There is no right, there is no wrong. Just you have to build up kind of heart. All right. And um, do you have any? Do you have any other messages that you'd give to uh, yourself if you can go back in time, maybe? 10, 20 years and anything that you would change or, or, or tell yourself? I think that would, would have been the stronger message that just, um, that was the strongest message. Like, like build, build your intuition, trust your intuition and follow in a lot of decisions. Don't rely as much, like find the balance between analytics and heart. And it should be 50-50. For myself, it was like 90-10. I would primarily go with logic and trying to make a logical, justified decision. And um, I think maybe before this, it was not as obvious, but now I can see how, they, because like the models we see, like all these models, they've been for virus, everything else, they, they might be faulty. And in the time of uncertainty, intuition plays bigger role. And if you, give the into if you go with the intuition and then on top of that build some analytical skills you'll be unstoppable it's <laughs> good advice brother well thanks for coming on today it was a a great conversation i look forward to seeing you again next time i come in new york absolutely john absolutely and i'll see you in miami let's Take do care. it Take care. Bye.